football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. We are live here live, on YouTube. Live here from a, a nighttime seaside vista of some kind. I like this. This is like every every show we're we're coming to you from somewhere different. Yeah, you don't know where we're coming from. Yeah, again, audio people, this means nothing to you. But the windows in our studio are broken, and they're set to like the Windows default page. So every week, every show, in fact, it's a uh, it's a different different background. The studio moves. It's mobile. It does. We, we're all over the place, and this is where we are bringing you free agent preview time. So it is uh, it, it is our official free agency preview. Um, when you're live, you never know what's going to happen. We could have guests. We could have breaking news. We really don't know. But legal tampering day is here. And, Sam, we're going to try to unpack it all for everybody with a little bit of uh, rehashing some of the stuff that's already happened mm-hmm. and look forward to the things that will happen. Sound good? Yeah. All right, let's get into it. Let's start with uh, free agency. The news has not really stopped. So do you want to start with our free agency board? We'll kind of reset the board. And we'll talk about some of the most recent signings. So PFF.com, or you Google just PFF free agents, and as you're typing out the word, it'll it'll take you to the right spot. Hmm. PFF free agents. Like magic. That's the place you want to be. And our board is updated with the most recent signings. So let's reset it here. Of the PFF top 10 players, we've seen Dak Prescott re-signed. He was number one on the free agency board. Chris Godwin back to Tampa Bay, Allen Robinson back to Chicago. So yeah, the whole franchise bunch of, tag took out a bunch of <laughs> it did <laughs> took out so, most of the top ten. In fact, so let me just tag. read list radio is what people love here. They Absolutely. they love lists. So let me just Everybody read out our our new top eight to ten, and we'll discuss the new yes the new top remaining free agents for PFF wide receiver Kenny Galladay, offensive tackle Trent Williams, safety Anthony Harris, tight end Hunter Henry. Wide receiver Will Fuller, mm. perfect fit for all teams. Guard Joe Tooney, edge defender Shaquille Barrett, cornerback William Jackson, quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, and cornerback Richard Sherman. We'll stop there. Mitchell Schwartz is next on the list, recently released offensive tackle. Your thoughts on the uh, the new reset board where now Kenny Galladay sits atop? Yeah, Galladay hitting free agency, I think, is a really interesting thing. We expected, I think, the top three wide receivers to get tagged. Two of the three did. Uh, We lost Allen Robinson. We lost Chris Godwin. But Kenny Galladay hits the open market, and I think that becomes a fascinating um, uh, target for teams to chase. Honestly, my the, the other sort of thing about this was we had a bunch of people re-signing with their teams long-term extensions before free agency opened so whatever about the franchise tag taking away a lot of the talent we also lost um, Levante David we lost Matt Milano we lost Aaron Jones all these guys re-signing with their teams sort of on the eve of free agency which suggests to me that this shrunk salary cap 
is going to affect the market as much as it was going to affect the pre-free agency bloodletting that was going on. You know, teams cutting all these veterans to get under the new lower salary cap, I think we expected. I don't know if we expected, and I don't even know if this is going to happen, but I don't know if we expect expected it to have an effect as, as strong as it looks like it might on the amount of money that's actually available, period, for free agency. I don't think, and maybe I'm just reading too much into this, but I don't think the likes of Aaron Jones or Matt Milano would have re-signed before free agency, before testing the market, if they weren't pretty sure that the money available in free agency was a lot less than people expected to be. See, I don't know. With those two guys, in those two particular cases, I think Levante David... That one makes sense. At his age, going back to the box, roll it back for a couple years, right? I don't know. And Matt Milano, one of the top linebackers on our board, but I don't know if the NFL values him at the same level that we do. I think, if anything, we're low on him compared to the NFL. Really? Yeah. He's a really good coverage linebacker. He covers running backs extremely well. He's a good complement to uh, Tremaine Edmonds over there with the Bills. But he's coming off of an injury-riddled season. Pure. And he's never really been a good run defender. Right. And I'm look, just thinking about the what the NFL. Of that landscape. So, the, yes, the linebacker landscape's not great. But I'm thinking about the rest of the NFL, what they value. And I, I had a feeling that we value Milano more. I think, I mean, he's also young and is good in coverage, which is the area that linebackers are getting lit on fire on right now. Like, you don't have to go beyond him. You got what? Jayon Brown is an option. And then you're down to the likes of KJ Wright, like Denzel Perriman, Kevin Pierre. Like it's, it's not a good landscape for linebackers. If you needed help in that position and Levante David got taken away from the marketplace and was a stopgap option anyway, Milano was basically your one at bat. Like that was your option. And for him to resign before hitting the market tells me that there isn't the kind of money that people are expecting it to be. Um, now, the one thing against that is you're talking about players re-signing, going back to their team, each of whom made the championship game. So Buffalo building in the right direction, they, I think, must have a pretty strong belief within that building that, hey, we're like, we're a step away from the Super Bowl. We're right there. And Green Bay, I think, are probably in a similar spot that – hey, we love Green Bay, we've been successful with back-to-back NFC Championship games, we're right there, we just need one more step. So it's not like he's re-signing with a team that's you know maybe going to make the playoffs and who knows how good they're going to be. Both those guys are re-signing with teams that expect to be Super Bowl contenders next year. So, okay, I can, I can understand it, but it's just that those are two guys that are right at the top of what we expected the market to look like who – passed on the chance of testing free agency so you so you think that's an indicator of the money not necessarily being there? yeah because look f- legal tampering starts today right but legal. illegal tampering has been going on for quite some time allegedly to the point where no i can say it i haven't named names so it's perfectly fine to say that um to the point where like agents know what the kind of money is right they know it, today at noon is that when it opens officially like today at noon is not the first time that agents are going to be aware of how much money is on the table for their prospective free agents. So they are they understand what the offers are going to look like before the legal tampering period officially opens. So for again, for Matt Milano and Aaron Jones to pass that up says either that their like draw for their home team is so incredible that they want to pass up that money regardless or B 
the money is a lot less than people think it's going to be or usually is. All right. Well, let's get into what this all means. Do you want to get into some of the signings or do you have any other takes on the guys, the way the board is shaping up now? No, I mean, I don't think it changed too much from our, from what we said it was going to be. Safety is still, I think, by far the strongest position available. Um, it's a great year because of the cuts. I think if you need an offensive line makeover for relatively cheap money, I think this is an outstanding year to start throwing some darts and see what sticks. It is. Um, and there's a bunch of teams that need that. Like if you look at what the Chargers currently have slated for their offensive line, it's four turnstiles and Brian Bulaga – who's a broken human being. Like, who knows if he's going to play properly for 16 games next season or not. The Minnesota Vikings are perpetually like Brian O'Neill and friends. There's a bunch of offensive lines out there that need to just start throwing things at the wall and hope something sticks. And this is a good year to have that problem. Well, that's a good time to get to the most recent signing, Kevin Zeitler, this morning, as we record here live, Monday morning, coming to you from... What studio? Oh, no, we need our... Uh... Can we get our sponsor's helmet here? Oh, no, do we not have that because we got Brad coming in? Go get get our guys here. It's live. You know, this is how we do it here. We're brought to you by Western and Southern, our friends. Um, Brad Spielberger might be here, the uh, NFL salary cap expert here at PFF. He might just roll in here live at some point. It's a good thing we packed it on the way to the, uh, the Seaside Vista. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a good thing we had it with us on the trip here. Um, so Kevin Zeitler signs with the Ravens. You talk about offensive line needy teams. The Giants release Kevin Zeitler, their best offensive lineman. You know, he, him and <laughs> Nate Solder, given the, the value of left tackle, right? So they release Kevin Zeitler. The Ravens mop yeah. up. Yes. good. I mean, great move for Baltimore on the basis that, hey, this is, I think, one of the underpinning issues that they had last year was that offensive line took a major step back and guard was where they were at among their weakest so get a proven quality guard nail down that position get him before free agency get him relatively cheap good move what the hell are the giants doing why 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 but i I think this is kind of the nature of what what we're looking at here with the with the cap situation now the the issue is that they they just franchised leonard williams and you know he's going to be a lot of money and that's taken up a lot of their cap and you know the giants are a mid-level cap space team right now and and i think that's you know there's a reason why actually bottom level they have two 2.4 million dollars worth uh, of cap space as of right now so the giants franchising leonard williams trying to keep that interior defensive line intact dalvin dalvin tomlinson hits free agency leonard williams is back dexter lawrence is back so they're trying to keep those guys intact. But now you're looking at this offensive line. Nate Solder, back as of now from his opt-out, he still might be on the trading block after signing the biggest tackle contract in history. I don't history. think that even helps that he's now an option. It does, though, because if because the right tackle position on paper is not very good unless Matt Parrott really develops, becomes a good player. And, and he could. But Andrew Thomas may be moving back to the right side with Solder at left tackle has a chance to be okay but you still have question marks at left guard where will hernandez hasn't been good center it was a was a disaster last year and zeitler is coming off of his worst season so the what Mm. are the giants thinking question is even though zeitler's their best and you've got a history a track record he's he's graded above 70 in pff terms every year except last year so that's what they're potentially thinking and how much of that do you think is down to what was around him last year i mean i think that it this is probably Yeah, well, that's, it's not as extreme, but this is probably a universal truth, particularly for offensive linemen, that 
you are going to get either dragged up or down by the environment around you. It's the same way we talk about running backs are, are essentially a product of what's in front of them. Offensive linemen, I think, will swing massively up or down depending on what's around them. We had an email to our mailbag, bulging mailbag, Steve, bulging, filled it full to the brim. Um, podca- uh, NFL podcast, singular, at pff.com is our mailbag email address. Send us whatever your thoughts are. The better they are, the, be- the better we enjoy them. And if you have an analogy, I'm all for that. Um, some guy, Shane Wilson, uh, sent us an email that said, it's not even his. So we were saying that we're, if, you know, if you come up with a great email and we read it out, you win a prize, you know, PFF account, something like that. It has to be your idea, though. You can't just, like, steal it and send it in. That might get you the email read out if the idea is good enough, but it's not going right. to win you anything. That feels cheating. So he sent us an email saying the Chiefs analyst, a Chiefs analyst, recently compared Austin Ryder to tofu. Tofu imbues the flavor of other ingredients around it. Likewise, Austin Ryder looks good when the linemen around him are good and looks bad when other linemen around him are bad. And he asked what other players are also tofu. So Zeitler was potentially imbued by the flavor of what was around him with the Giants last year, which is to say bad things. I won't say they were he was imbued with the flavor of crap, but, you know. Other nasty things you might put in the uh, the ingredient trough. Kevin Zeitler is better than tofu at this point in his career. I appreciate you trying to get the. But I think the point there, is but... that ev- the point is that all offensive linemen are, to a degree, influenced in that manner. That what is around them is going to determine, I think, a pretty healthy chunk of their PFF grade. If the line around them is a train wreck, <clears throat> those guys are going to have career bad years. If the line around them is great, they're probably going to look pretty good. Yeah. So I really like it as a as an opportunity for the Ravens they they ran the ball extremely well last year that's what they like to do and they did it without a really good guard 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 center combo it wasn't that great last year so adding Zeitler to the mix who's not really a mauling run blocker that the Ravens generally get historically but he's a really good pass blocker and he's uh he's scheme diverse for what they want to do look at this we said when you're live on the air you just never know what a shock a surprise yeah Brad Spielberg alive and in the studio. Way in, taller than you are on Twitter, in by the, the way. City. Really? Yeah. I noticed on that. Twitter? Yeah. Right? Taller than than oh, you expect on Twitter. Short on Twitter? Yes. How exactly. tall are you? About six seven. I God was damn it. upset when I met Steve that I couldn't be the tallest guy at the company. I know. I'm in the running. <laughs> six seven versus my uh, six eight to ten or whatever yeah. wherever I list at. Yep. Listed six ten. Actual. So welcome, Brad. Yeah. Make yourself comfortable. The uh the third spot is is tough sometimes there in the middle, but uh, welcome to the back to the show in live and in person here. Brad, for those who don't know, li- live here on YouTube or on the audio version, Brad is our our new salary cap contract expert here. This is going to make me look like some kind of tiny person on the camera. <laughs> There's a – you can lift up your chair. I don't need to move – my problem is not that the chair is set too low. My problem is that I'm now surrounded by people that are six seven or taller, which Check is your, going to uh, artificially make me look smaller than I actually am. The people are making fun of you already. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> in the chat. So, Brad, welcome. And uh, uh, do you want to jump right into the Taysom Hill stuff? I mean, <laughs> we've got – there's a lot of questions that we have for you. But do you have any um, general takes? Sam's, Sam's initial take on some of the re-signings was that the market might not be that strong, that the money might not be flowing, given Aaron Jones, Levante David, Matt Milano. Do you have a, do you have a feeling for how things are going to shake out? I think it's a fair assessment so far. Um, some of the deals are coming in a little bit below where you'd expect, uh, and it does sound like some of the guys that are looking for that top money 
Um, should still get it, but other guys that are in that, that next tier might just take one of your flyers and just kick it to next year. Uh, but I do think it's interesting that the cap is not supposed to boom in 2022. Um, the, the cap was going to be around $155 million this past year if they didn't do any sort of adjusting. And so let's say it was going to be 210 in a normal year. Let's say you're, you're accounting for $55 million in a difference there. And obviously it settled at 182. So if you you know do the math there, they ate about half of that kind of difference that they were going to have. So they still have to account for another you know 30 million dollars potentially um, of losses to kind of make up for. So I think 2023 is really going to be when it's going to jump. Um, so I'm not sure why guys think they should wait one year and that it'll be so much better. Um, I still think it might only be around 200, 205 million in 2022. Yeah, because I kind of had that take too that maybe a lot of veterans are going to sign for like one year. Five million, eight million, whatever that number is, and say, so, yeah, I'll bet on myself next year. But how many, how many guys that we just saw get cut to get under this salary cap figure? You know, a whole ton of bloodletting for everybody to get cheaper. And how much, how many of these guys do you think are going to end up re-signing essentially with the same team just for a cheaper contract? There's, there should be a bunch of that as well. Yeah, I mean, there was even some like Robert Alford had already happened. Got cut by the Cardinals uh, and immediately got signed a week later to a smaller deal. I think we're going to see a bunch of that. And I think even seeing all these pay cuts, guys are agreeing to. Uh, Andrew yeah. Norwell agreed to one yesterday. Um, you know, has been a consistently good player at left guard for Jacksonville. They obviously have the most cap space in the NFL, and yet he still agreed to a pay cut. So I think they realize that, you know, maybe more guarantees, so you know, it's more assurance. Um, but if a team approaches you about that, you're probably smart to go ahead and do it because a market might not develop otherwise. Here's a question about the the you mentioned the Jacks, most cap space, right? Patriots, Jets, Chargers, Colts, Bengals. Washington and Dolphins right now as of now over the cap most effective cap space right how do, how does that get deployed how does that get used do these teams just go crazy do you still have to take a multi-year approach when you're looking at the because I think people see that cap space they're like well the Jaguars are just going to take every top free agent but like what's the reality behind having that much cap space and how much flexibility you still need going forward yeah, so cap is still going to be a multi-year window. Like you're, you're never going to view one year's cap as kind of the whole operating, you know, what you're, what you're operating with. But I think what we will see from those teams, which would be smart, which would be interesting, uh, something the Dolphins actually did last year um, with Byron Jones, for example, is kind of front-loading contracts. Um, you have that massive advantage in cap space. You have the ability to kind of take more money up front and therefore make deals kind of easier to get out of on the back end. Obviously, they moved on from Kyle Van Noy already. Um, so yeah, I think we'll see like some big roster bonuses in the first year from, from, from teams like that. Um, so that, that, you know, down, down the line, there's less dead money for these guys going forward and it kind of benefits them to, to kind of front load the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, Sam, my mm -hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo I'm not, argument. I'm not doing it again. Stop it. We're not having the same Jimmy Garoppolo argument for the I, second show in a row. I made the point that the, the way the <laughs> 49ers structured Garoppolo's contract was perfect because they had a ton of cap space when they signed him. They front-loaded front, front loaded the whole thing, kind of bet on them. Having the same argument. This is like... No, I have, I have somebody nodding in the, in the building here, <laughs> agreeing with me. That so. doesn't change the fact that we're now having the same argument that we just refused to have. This is like being married. No, I'm not having this argument again. Proceeds to have the argument again. <laughs> All right, let's get into some of these other uh, signings. Aaron Jones. So we hate running backs here at PFF. That's well known. Um, but when Aaron Jones gets re-signed to the Packers... How how bad is a running back contract? There's a difference between, say, like a Zeke contract where his cap number is going to be insane. How how much do the Packers hedge with what we know about this Aaron Jones deal? Is this going to hurt them from getting the next coverage linebacker, the next coverage safety, these other needs? How much does it hurt them versus how much 
You know, do we just say we hate all second running back contracts with, with Aaron Jones here? Uh, you know, we still haven't seen the full details. Um, it was initially reported as a four-year, $48 million deal, and that $12 million per year average is right around the Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry deals from last offseason. Um, but there has been a report that the actual deal is about $9.5 million per year, um, and there's incentives that kind of boost it. So I guess that's why Jones switched to Drew Rosenhaus. You, that, that's the point of signing you know, the top agent in the business. You get, I guess, better media coverage. That's, that's the goal there. But uh, – but yeah, so if it is like truly around nine and a half million per year, I think that would signal um, that the NFL is maybe listening to us for, for you know um, you know on the running back market. I mean, if he stays below ten million per year, been a highly productive player, not a ton of tread on his tires because Jamal Williams has been there. You know, I think it does signal that they're starting to kind of adjust that market. And the thing with the Packers is they generally only guarantee signing bonus. So he got a thirteen million dollar signing bonus. The franchise tag would have been about 8.6 million. So what, four and a half million more in total guarantees potentially than the, if you know just one year for him. Um, so yeah, I'm guessing his cap will be about 4.5 million as opposed to the 8.6 it would have been. Um, and frankly, they could probably get out of the deal in, in one year if not two. Um, so it will not be as limiting as some of those other deals we've seen, like the Zeke deal. Um, right, like that. That more like limits moves. I don't think Jones's will, but. They don't have a lot of cap space, and they do have a lot of holes to address still on this roster. I mean, linebacker, they obviously still want to add more receivers. Um, so it's, it's tough. It's, you know, you'd think taking A.J. Dillon in the second round, you would trust him to be the guy going forward. But I guess they're going to they're gonna run it back with Jones. Never have too many running backs. You know that. Um, I have a question about the Saints and the Bucs now. So we'll, we'll, I want to talk about Taysom in a minute here. You've made the point before that the Saints and the Bucs, they, they're just like polar opposites in how they've worked the cap, right? Yep. So can you describe that a little bit? And then how are, are the Bucks changing their ways with Brady now? Are they seeing this Super Bowl window continuing? How is the NFC South evolving with, these, with those two top teams? Yeah, so they are truly polar opposites in how they structure deals. And uh, that the Buccaneers have liked to maintain as close to a one-to-one -one cash to cap ratio as possible. By that, I mean essentially they want to pay as they go. So <coughs> if a guy's cash in a year is $15 million, they want his cap hit to also be around $15 million. It's It's a credit card versus a debit card, right? Like that's, exactly. That's essentially the way those two teams are going about it. The Bucks pay everything with their debit card. It comes straight out of the bank account. They're good. The Saints plow everything into their high-interest credit card and just hope that they can pay it down every month when the bill comes due. I don't 100%. need Brad and his specifics when you've hey, got perfect analogies. analogies I, I know, I'm sorry. I'm no, that's, that's the way to put it. No, for sure. And so like now, um, and it's smart because the Bucks, what they're doing now is, yes, now they are kind of getting into the, the void year waters, which is you know one mechanism the Saints have been using, maybe abusing for a couple years now, which is where you're just pushing prorated bonus money down the line. Um, like Devontae David, for example, his two-year $25 million deal, I want to say his first year cap hits like three and a half million dollars because right. they just a lot of its bonus is pushed down the line. Brady's extension was a one year extension with then I think about three void years on the back end of that as well. Cleared about nineteen point three million dollars. So, the, you know, the Bucks were smart to do it all this time and, and keep it all up front. Um, and now, yeah, there's no reason not to at this point. Right. Like you should just go ahead and do this. Um, they're obviously Shaq Barrett is, is holding them hostage a bit, it seems like. But they have the, the flexibility to bring everyone back if they want to. With the Saints, is there going to be a time where this, where like the bill comes due and they can't pay it, or are they are they capable of doing this like in perpetuity, just kicking the money down the line, keep using void years, keep using all the tricks they've been doing, routinely rolling into March like a hundred million over the cap, knowing that you're going to cut all these guys, you're going to restructure a bunch more, you'll get under it by the time the league year starts. Like, everyone's been talking about this idea of, 
you know, once Drew Brees retires, that's them kind of done, right? They've been basically keeping all this money on the credit card, knowing that as long as Breeze is there, they have a shot at one more ring. And as soon as he departs, basically the whole thing's going to get blown up. They get into salary cap hell and they just take their lumps for a while. Is that actually how it's going to work? Or are they just, is this just their style? They're going to be able to keep rolling with the credit card for as long as, it, as, as they need to. I mean, I'll be honest. If the cap didn't drop, I probably would have had to admit that, like, they truly could have just done it in perpetuity. I mean, if it was $210 million, like, you know, they probably expected it to be, like everyone did, um, they, they'd probably be healthily under the cap at this point. I mean, again, they would have had to cut a lot of guys. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, if the cap spikes as it's supposed to, that they should be okay. I still think we're kind of seeing a, a tough situation. I mean, look, their wide receiver two right now is who? Marquez Callaway. Yeah. Their, their CB2 is, I don't know, Patrick Robinson, if they don't cut him, which they might as well. Um, I mean, their quarterback is, I don't know, Taysom Hill at the moment. So, like, Tamus soon. Yeah, it's, it'll, it'll be a Tamus combo. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, the two QB system, Sean Payton, if anyone would do it, just like series to series, <laughs> just switching up quarterbacks, I'd love to see it. I thought the Eagles would get into it a little bit with Hurts last year, but. Um, red zone quarterback. Right, yeah, the, the red zone package for Hill. So, uh, so Jameis can't throw 30, 30 interceptions <laughs> down the red zone. But yeah, um, I mean, look, like if they do all this moves and then they go like seven or nine next year because they don't have good quarterback play, like we're going to laugh at it in, in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the reality is they may have been dealing with this for years anyway, but with Drew Brees, it didn't matter. Like there was a season a couple of years ago where his outside of Michael Thomas, his receiving core was an absolute joke. Like he was complete no names that he was throwing the ball to. And it doesn't matter because it's Drew Brees and he's able to get it done. If that's Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston, suddenly it's like, oh, look at what the salary cap has done to the Saints. They don't have money to get you anybody outside of Michael Thomas. This thing is a joke. So, I mean, the reality is we may have been in this situation for years already. It's just you didn't notice because they were able to win regardless. With, with the Saints, how much of it was just the fact that they had such a good draft class in 2017? That's a good thing. But at some point, they all come up at the same time. How much do you balance that? So, again, the 2017 draft class, one of the best of all time. You get Marshawn Lattimore. You get Ryan Ramchak. You get Alvin Kamara. Trey Hendrickson, who's now a free agent. And then Marcus Williams, who just got franchise tagged. You don't find draft classes where you get four legitimate top-notch starters and then a rotational player like Trey Hendrickson, who just had, what, 13 sacks. How much of it is just that? And that's good for them. But at the same time, you got to pay them all at the same time. Yeah, and that's the funny thing, too, is I think we kind of have, like, collective amnesia where they went 7-9 and nine three years in a row because they also had, like, a cap pinch. They had a ton of dead money from a bunch of these kind of deals before. So when you're going 7-9 and nine three years in a row with Drew Brees, a quarterback, like, it's obviously because you're struggling to fill out your roster. And then, yeah, they had one of the best draft classes we've seen in a long time. Um, and that the, not only that, but also they pick like five guys a year because they trade up multiple times every draft. So if it comes a time where, like, let's say they have an awful draft this year and like no one they land is good, like then yeah, like it, things can get interesting right away. They probably need to land potentially a starter, you know, in the first round, um, you know, maybe a linebacker, maybe a corner. Um, but yeah, it, it is tough now too. I mean, you have two guys on the fifth year option uh, in Ryan Ramchick and Marshawn Lattimore this year. So you know, ten million plus dollar cap hits. You add in Marcus Williams' franchise tag, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, the time has come now where it's, it's like they're, they're almost extending guys, not even necessarily because they want to, but just because they have to for cap reasons, right. which probably isn't a position you want to find yourself in. The um, Patriots bring back Cam Newton. Uh, everybody overre- – I, I, th- I don't know if they overreacted, but it seemed like people reacted. Like, was, oh, they're rolling it back. It was overreported, I think. Like the idea that it was a was it a one year fourteen yeah. million dollar deal? I mean, the fourteen million dollars is only if they like 
win the Super Bowl with Newton as MVP and, you know, all those kinds of things. My Spalding contract. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> if you had won the Cy Young and everything else, that's not what the deal was. Like, the deal was, what was it, like a $5 million deal with everything else, fairly ridiculous, you know, incentives. That I mean, that's a completely different situation. That's just a Patriots deal that they would perform at any position, right? Like, yeah. It's, you know, here's the price tag. We're willing to pay you this. I mean, it's barely, it, it's barely more than the deal he signed last year. It's just this is a cheap quarterback to make sure that they, they basically just guaranteed a situation where they at no point are ever saying that Jarrett Stidham is the quarterback rolling into the season the way they were threatening to for a lot of last offseason. That's what I mean, that was my take on the move. So I wanted to get your take on it. But my take was they at least go into free agency and say, hey, Hunter Henry, hey, yes. Kenny Galladay, hey, Will Fuller. Don't we, worry, yeah. Jarrett Stidham won't be throwing you the football. <laughs> Is that the extent? They paid $5 million just so they could have a little bit better selling point for some of these guys? Yeah, that's definitely how I perceive it. I mean, it's not even like top-end backup money. Uh, like you said, $5 million base value. The incentives, you know, there's no guarantee he hits any of those. I don't think it precludes a move, whether they still are trying to trade for someone or if they, you know, make a move in the draft um, for, you know, a guy like Mac Jones. Like, I don't think it, it prevents anything from them. Yeah, I think it is to assign a free agents. Like, we're, we're trying to, you know, not have Jarrett Stidham be the guy who's going to throw you the ball. We have a legitimate NFL quarterback here, um, you know, and something to build around. And they do have a ton of money. I think they're going to be pretty active. Um, you know, I, I think Belichick is, is trying to kind of get back, you know, right, right in the mix. But uh, Schefter's having a lot of fun with us so far in free agency. I mean, that's, that might not even be the craziest quarterback deal. He's, whether intentionally or not, kind of broken in a hilarious fashion. Obviously. How much of that do you think is, is him trying to get the maximum engagement for his tweets? And how much of that is just like that's how the agent presented it to him? Honestly, I think it's a mix of both. Like, I think at this point, Schefter probably knows how the things work. Yeah. I think sometimes you'll see stuff broken from, like, local beat reporters and whatnot, and you can tell the agent gave it to him because the right. way they presented it and the way I finally see the contract from the system, it's like this is not what, you know, he sure. was reported. There's also, like, a bunch of them where everybody tweets out the exact same wording in the space of about a minute and a half. You're like, oh, there was a group text you just got on with yep. the agent, presumably. And that's how that information got dumped out into the world. Yeah, no, for sure. So, yeah, I think that one with, with Hill was – it with Taysom Hill, obviously, Schefter reported as a four-year, $140 million extension. <laughs> um, so, so getting to that a little bit too. So void years. Yes, um, that's, uh, that's what we wanted to I, – I segued too early. On the Taysom? But Taysom Hill had all those void years. Discuss the Taysom Hill contract and what a void year is and how that all works. Are you now working, w walking us through the, uh, the structure of, your, of the podcast? Is this like when you have to explain a joke, it sort of loses something? You're, no. like, you're now walking through Listen, I let you host for 10 minutes and you had no idea how to do any of this stuff. I, I didn't need to do it. I was just smooth. It was none of this crap. All I'm saying is I, I'm just saying, I, I never came off the to, Saints a little bit early. I never had We're to explain. We're live. We can't fix it. I never had to explain the structure of the show when I was hosting. Don't just, argue in front of the kids. <laughs> Please. Okay. Sorry. I knew we were circled, but we all Saints knew we were going to circle back to Taysom Hill. So it didn't matter when it was coming. We knew it was coming. Um, yeah. So essentially there, Hill's last year of his contract was this year. Mm -hmm. So they obviously needed to clear room. For whatever reason, they gave him that massive extension <laughs> last year as a restricted free agent, too. So there's no reason to do it. Gave him the first-round tender, which didn't fool anybody. Um, I remember they were saying, like, yeah, I think someone might make an offer and they'll it's get a like first. No part of Taysom Hill has ever made any sense to anybody outside of Sean Payton. Makes no sense. Right. Yeah, even Schefter, in that tweet, he said, like, this obviously isn't the real deal, but it provides a framework. That was for, amazing. Which I was like, this is a troll. Like, this yes. is, like that part was a troll. Like, no, you don't think he's going to get if $35 Taysom million. Taysom Hill <laughs> plays like an all-pro, there's a, there's a four-year, $140 million extension just written in already. Yeah, like Russ, Russ Wilson contract is waiting right. for him if he has a good year. Yeah, so in reality what happened is 
he didn't get a, a raise of a penny. He was owed $12.16 million for this upcoming year. Um, the cash is the exact same. Um, but what they did is they added four void years for cap clearing purposes. Um, and those void years, you do put salaries in there, but there's no way to earn them. The, what, what a void year means is that typically a week after the Super Bowl, it'll say in the contract, like, the deal automatically voids on, you know, February 20th, whatever it is. Um, and so a team will just put those there for cap clearing purposes. You can hold prorated bonus money in those years. Uh, and then, of course, they can try to, you know, work out a new deal with him or something like that. But um, they do put salaries in there for, I guess, fun. I know you were pontificating if the $140 million had, you know, significance to it. But yeah. the numbers mean nothing. He, he was given a – it was a restructure. <laughs> yeah, but, but what I was asking you yesterday is, like, why are those legal? Because it's genuinely fake money. It's a fake – it's a fake year. It doesn't exist. It's it's literally designed, as you were saying, as just a mechanism to be able to push bonus money into those fake years so it spreads it out over the length of the, the contract, which sounds absurd. It sounds like it sounds like something that should be illegal, right? It just doesn't sound it sounds sketchy. Um, and your point was essentially that well, you explain to me why why are these why are void years legal in NFL contracts? Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, even when the NFLPA sends them over, they they replace the salary with a zero when they like when they file in the system. <laughs> so like I wasn't even aware until this past week that they actually do put numbers in there. So even I learned that recently. But yeah, so this, this, the answer, which is funny because it's not like based in logic, the answer why they're legal is because it benefits all parties. Yeah. And, and that's so, so nobody wants to remove them. Exactly. Because for, from a player perspective, it, you know, if the team says, hey, we can only do this deal with you if you help us from the cap side, they say, OK, fine, do whatever manipulation you want to do as long as my cash flows are the same. Um, you know, what do I care how you do on the cap? And from a team perspective, like, yeah, if the Saints couldn't use void years, they would be like defunct and kicked, you know, in the <laughs> XFL. So. So, yeah, it, it, all they are is, is a cap-manipulating tool. Um, they've been around for a while. They're not new, but this offseason we're obviously going to see, you know, a crazy amount of them used um, just to push money down the line. And, yeah, frankly, the answer why is because it benefits the teams and it benefits the players. So, you know, who's going to speak out against it? And the $140 million for Taysom is just an epic troll job by Sean Payton. I know Mickey Loomis is technically the dude, you know, running the camp, et cetera, but there's no way Sean Payton wasn't involved in saying – Make that $140 million for Taysom. Because. I assumed I assumed it was like Steve Young's career earnings, or it's like it's got to be something, or it's, it's, be or it's what there. Steve Young would have made in today's money. I mean, it's something that tied to Sean Payton's takes. Maybe about if Taysom. like maybe it's that uh, maybe it's the uh, the what the hell was that league that he signed for the USFL USFL maybe contract. it's that USFL contract like. In adjusted for inflation, you know, the foot, the whatever it was, the 10 year, $40 million deal he signed with the USFL, whatever that is in today's money, it turns out is 140 million for Taysom. Hill. He's just extension. trying to bring Taysom along the same exact path as Steve Young breakout at 32 years old or. He's already there, isn't he? Thirty-two at this point. I actually just realized it's the exact details of <clears throat> Russell Wilson's extension. So maybe it's a there signal. Yeah. So I know he was on the Saints were on we Russ's go. list of four teams. Maybe that's Sean Payton sending a little message. Like we already have him. Yeah. We have our Russell Wilson <laughs> in the building. Quick break to tell you guys about Underdog Fantasy. If you like fantasy football and if you like playing fantasy football for money, you need to check out underdog fantasy underdog's got everything including season long and playoff best ball best ball is a season long game where you draft a team like you normally do but that's it there's no in-season roster management it's easy for even sam to do mm -hmm. underdog autom automatically selects your best performance each week saving you loads of time now here's the kicker you go to underdog fantasy and deposit just ten dollars using the promo code pff and you get a free pff edge annual subscription that's promo code pff you get edge annual for just ten bucks Brad over here, before he 
joined the company had to pay the full 40 true. for Edge Annual. So a $10 PFF Edge Annual is an absolute steal. So go to join. Yeah, that's, that, I mean, that's why we all, that's how we all ended deals. up here. Uh, so it's Underdog Fantasy. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. All right, where else are we going to go here? We've got oh, our void year that? discussion. Speaking of cheaper ways into PFF, promo code free agency. You can't do them back-to-back, Sam. Can't do them back-to-back? No, no, no. You, you what, if I, time. what if I just did? What's going to well, What's that promo code? Because that's how you can get PFF Free elite. agency 30. Oh, you that's know? good. What do you get? I assume 30% off, but I haven't fact-checked that. Can't confirm. Tell you what, <laughs> you fire promo code P, uh, free agency 30 into the system while you're signing up. Let me know. Hashtag let me know what you got off in terms of savings. I assume it's 30%, but who knows? I'm the host here, Sam. But, yeah, that's good. Okay, thanks. Look, we're just scratching the surface of professionalism here, Steve. We, this is how it works. We should be professional at this point. <laughs> we should be. But anyway, people are loaded up watching us live. We're here all week, by the way. We've got multiple live shows on the YouTube channel. So if you guys are just uh, joining in and you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel. we got a live show today at 3-ish. I'm yeah. going to say ish because who the heck knows if you're going to press record at the right time. It's difficult. we got live shows. We're going to have an extra podcast this week as well. But we're previewing all things free agency right now. Let's talk about some of those top guys. Kenny Galladay, Trent Williams. Where are these guys going to land, Sam? Um, I, I think Trent Galladay, Williams. Jaguars? You think? Like I mean, How, how aggressive is Urban Meyer going to be here? I think that's a good question. I mean, we were – so we had – we've had a few different emails in that are along these topics. And I think generally there's an interesting – discussion about when you should everybody talks about Super Bowl windows right and the things that trigger a potential Super Bowl window and usually it's finding a great quarterback in a rookie contract suddenly the Super Bowl window opens up because you have uh, the most important player or the most important position in the NFL fixed with a guy who's not taking up anything like the percentage of the salary cap that he should based on his level of play so that enables you to suddenly start throwing resources everywhere else and open up this window of being the, one of the best teams in the NFL and contending. But I, I've been sort of thinking about other things that can potentially trigger when you should deploy all these resources and attack or open up a Super Bowl window. And I, I think that the rookie quarterback thing is, is certainly one of them. But, you know, should you, if you're Jacksonville, having assembled all of this uh, resource and salary cap space and draft picks, should this should the signing of Trevor Lawrence immediately before you even see how good he is, the drafting of Trevor Lawrence, should that just trigger a spending spree right now? Do you want me to read this email? Uh, sure, why not? All right, so here's the <clears throat> couple things here. Um, I was actually texting you about this the other day, right? About there has not been a non-rookie quarterback win a Super Bowl. Like, here are the non-rookie quarterbacks to win a Super Bowl. I can't remember if I mentioned this on the show the other day, but it's Brady times four. Since 2002, Brady times four. Peyton, twice. Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Eli Manning once, I believe, right? Um, and, and this doesn't really count, too, because the old cap was different. I mean, it's, it's just a different world now. Yep. But there's really and, – and I know just picking Super Bowl winners is cherry-picking because we, we, like Matt Ryan is like one play away from <laughs> breaking this whole thing, right? But the point is it's been a challenge for non-rookie quarterbacks to win Super Bowls. The, the rookie contract QBs that have been on Super Bowl winning teams, you've got – Patrick Mahomes and Carson Wentz technically with the Eagles you have Russell Wilson in 2013 uh, Flacco was just at the tail end yep, of his yep, right year, yeah. in 2012 so 
it is an interesting dynamic, and it, and it's been a challenge for teams to you know win a Super Bowl. So the the way the email was posed to us was essentially. Here's the model. Use Jacksonville as a starting point. You draft Trevor Lawrence. Over the next three years, you spend everything you can, Saint style, with the goal of winning the Super Bowl in three years. Assuming Lawrence is going to get paid, after four years, you trade him for three first-round picks and a bridge quarterback, take all the cap hits, tank a season, essentially, take your salary cap medicine all in one year. You get a top-five pick. You get a new quarterback. Rinse and repeat every four years. The risk is the newly drafted quarterback sucks, but you should at least have two years every five where you were super relevant. You never get the mediocrity of, say, the Matt Ryan Falcons or the Dak Prescott Cowboys, where you pay a quarterback too much and you can never build a roster to make up for those deficiencies. Your thoughts, both of you guys, on that general strategy? I mean, I like the idea of... I like the idea of sort of running this in cycles. So instead of trying to be a Patriots-esque 20-year dynasty where you're just always going to win 12 games and be in contention and... I just I don't know how plausible that is to ever achieve, but I think that's what everybody's trying to do is get good enough to win a Super Bowl and then maintain a championship caliber roster for as long as humanly possible. I wonder if actually most teams should instead be trying to do this in waves of we can open up a window that lasts two to three years and then we have to blow this thing up and start over and come back again in two or three years time and do it over and over again, try and sort of cycle it like that. I wonder, like, if you're a team like the Vikings, right? Vikings have zero Super Bowl wins in their entire franchise history. And they've had runs where they've been a very good team for a number of years. But is that the way to do it? Or or would the Vikings be better off essentially taking, like, these calculated runs, surges at a Super Bowl and trying to open up a window that lasts two or three years and then just annihilating the roster, starting over and and re-going? I just, I think that's an intriguing concept and this is one way of stra- like running that strategy. Brad, yeah, thoughts? No, I think the biggest issue is that like high floor, five hundred teams is the safe spot for, for GMs and coaches, right? Where yeah. like if an owner was on board with this, then yeah, it should be tried. Like it, they should go after it. And say, what's the point in being meddling if you can either be bad and then be very good and actually be a contender? Um, but yeah, the issue at the end of the day is the guys making the calls can't take that risk where yeah they, they might get fired after a three and thirteen season even if it does behoove them long term. Um, I think Lawrence is an interesting one if he's what everyone thinks he's going to be. I wouldn't do it with him, but look at a guy like a Jared Goff. I mean, if, if they traded him instead of extending him after that Super Bowl run, he obviously was terrible in the Super Bowl. But but we've seen that like quarterbacks do not lose value. Like Josh Rosen still got a second round pick. He was awful. Sam Darnold apparently might still get a second round pick. He's been awful. Like. If you're a top 10 quarterback that has shown literally anything, that can throw a football 10 yards, like you're going <laughs> to still get like a decent return. So, yeah, I think teams should take more risks there. Um, if the guy's actually good, I think you just go ahead and pay him and just make things work. But if, he's, if, you don't, if you're not convinced he's a top third of the NFL quarterback, I don't see why you hang on. I mean, look, and now look where the Rams are now. Obviously, you know, that extension was, in hindsight, looks awful. So those guys, yes, teams should get more, more creative and, and take a risk and say, look, we're just going to – we liked Jared Goff for a rookie contract. That was great. He was great on $8 million per year, but once he gets in the $30, $35 million per year range, we no longer like that quarterback. And I think teams should make that calculation. So that's we've discussed that a lot before, too, and we've got this very broad general thought of if you have a top five, top eight quarterback, you pay him and you just figure it out, right? Once you know you have Aaron Rodgers or Brady or Breeze or Peyton, which don't really exist a whole lot, but now it's, it's Mahomes, Watson, Wilson – 
there's really not a whole lot where you just kind of lock them in as that guy right now, which I think clouds the clouds your judgment a little bit. I think the last decade of quarterbacks, it was a very distinct, here's the top eight. Over time, you know, with Roethlisberger in there, with Andrew Luck when he was healthy in there, with Wilson in there, with Matt Ryan in there. It's a pretty distinct top eight. It's it's clouded now. So my question is this, right? The Eagles and the Rams are now apparently, obviously regretting Jared Goff and Carson Wentz extensions. Were the Cowboys actually right in what they did with Dak, right? They said, we're going to slow play it. At the time when these negotiations started, was it really clear that Dak was better than Wentz? He was probably better than Goff, but hadn't had you know a Super Bowl run like Goff did. I think you could easily say Dak was QB 10, 12, 15 at various points in his career. Did they actually play it right? And then you know they, they bet a little bit, and then eventually they said, okay, actually the new landscape, Dak needs to get paid. Now take the Zeke deal out of it and some of the other mistakes, but was Dallas actually right about thinking about maybe going to a new QB on a rookie contract at some point? I mean, if he regressed, it would look smart, right? Like the issue, and that's kind of the risk you take, I suppose, is that if the guy does progress and and, and continues to look good, then you can't let that guy go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was fair of them to think like, look, we have Tyron Smith, this great offensive line, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith. We've had weapons the whole time, excluding Zeke. Um, you know, like good good receiving weapons and all that the whole time he's been here. So who's to say how good he truly is? Um, and, and look, they probably could have signed him for you know thirty three million per year. You know when. Goff and, and Wentz signed their deals and, and again like this is all hindsight analysis but now that's obviously what they should have done in hindsight but yeah if he regressed just like those guys did then we'd be knocking it in the, in the other fashion so. The problem is that I think they made that determination without playing this through to the end game which is okay right now we are making the decision that Dak Prescott is not worth more than the 30 million dollars a year we want to pay him so what is the logical conclusion to this stance? We're going to get into a stalemate with Dak Prescott. We're going to have to keep pushing this thing off into the future. How is that going to play out? Either he does what Brad says, which is he regresses, he therefore becomes less attractive, and either we walk away anyway because we don't think he's that good, or he signs the deal that's on the table and we look great, we win the negotiation. The other two alternatives are, one, he stays to the exact same. He's the quarterback we said he was, but nothing changes. And because like the longer this goes, the money is only going up anyway, so we don't win. Um, unless we're willing to walk away from the negotiation and say, no, this is our line. You are not worth more than this. Even if the market is going up, your number isn't because we don't think you're worth more than that. It doesn't feel like they were ever prepared to walk away from Dak Prescott, at which point it was a bluff. It was an empty gesture. Or that Dak Prescott actually becomes more valuable or has a better season and then we need to determine, well, how good is he now? So have we changed our opinion on how good Dak Prescott is based off what we've seen since we started negotiating? Honestly, I doubt they have. I, you can argue that Dak Prescott had his best season or the, the best play before he got hurt after all these negotiations started, but I don't think that really changed your opinion of how good he is. I think, I mean, we were saying heading into the last year that Dak Prescott was probably going to look like a superstar because of all the receiving help that they got him. So there was a chance that he was going to have this phenomenal season look like a top five quarterback, but may not actually. Like, it, this is just the difference. This is the tofu argument again, right? This is the difference between being surrounded with great ingredients and being surrounded by not great ingredients. So I, I don't think that they played those scenarios out when they started this. They just went, Dak is not that good. 30 million is as far as we go. And then just sort of sat there and we're like, that'll play itself out. Don't worry about it. 
And then it, it did. And the two options were, well, either you pay him more than that or you have to <laughs> you have to say bye-bye. Neither were, like they weren't prepared to say bye-bye, so they just had to choke on the bigger sum of money. Yeah, to to finish the initial point on this cycle of, you know, get the get the rookie quarterback and then sell him off. It's a tough sell to the fans because it's like, here's our here's our predetermined bridge season, guys. Mm. Please re-up your season tickets. <laughs> that part is, yeah. But you also have, I think to Brad's point too, like the owner needs to buy in. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is that the, not only does the owner need to buy in, you need to have people running the thing in terms of head coach and GM that you have enough confidence in that can survive the way, the down wave, right? The, the nadir of the, the cycle you're going on. And also that you know are good enough to be able to create the wave in the first place. Like there are people out there half the league every year is not good enough to ever achieve going for it. The, the, the upswing of the wave to, to believe that you have a guy that's capable of doing that every time. If you give him the resources feels a stretch. Yeah. I mean, that's, you also can't just tell your coach to lose, right? It's just, it, you can't play football that way. I don't think you just, you could build a roster that's more likely to lose, but you can't yeah. create a losing culture. What Jacksonville so did. I don't think that's, I mean, the coach is not sort of in on this in a, in a way, right? He, he just has to deal with what he's given. And you might say, hey, look, this is a rebuilding year, chief do the best with what we give you but your job is safe we're not going to blame you for how this season goes just know that we're not also going to be giving you the resources you need until next year or the year beyond that part i don't think is a huge problem but like the gm aspect of it is like you need to trust that that guy is capable of triggering these waves every time you give him the option and that feels like a stretch i think you can manipulate your draft capital at the right times too right like you draft a lot early in this run it kind of diminishes as you go, and then it builds back up again, yeah. and then you don't get into that. That part's easy to do. Saints situation. It's also pretty easy to do the the salary cap part of it, right? To basically stockpile salary cap for a specific time, and then be able to deploy it all at once. The mechanism is like the, the mechanics of getting it all to work are fine. It's the sort of the politics of people's jobs being on the line that becomes an issue, and whether you have enough trust in the people that are doing it to actually pull it off. Let's talk Russell Wilson really quick, and then we'll get into – I want to go through our top ten again, or just our top free agents remaining. Russell Wilson, do you, do you buy into him wanting out, somewhat wanting out? That do you, do you buy into him even being on the trading block at this point? Is Seattle that crazy? Is that crazy for Seattle? It is crazy. Uh, I think the interesting thing is the fact that we have not heard anyone from Seattle come out and kind of put these rumors to bed. Like, I yeah. feel like if, it, if, there was a no, if there was nothing there, we'd have heard at some point, like, look, Russ is our guy. We're – we, yeah, we have some issues, whatever, we're working it out. We're, we're kind of figuring things out, but we've heard nothing. So, you know, I think they know that Chicago is desperate and is going to make maybe the biggest offer for a trade like we've ever seen. So they always say, like, I'm going to listen to every phone call. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to hang up the phone if someone's going to offer me, you know, three first, three seconds, Khalil Mack and, you know, Darnell, like, just go nuts with an offer, um, which, I mean, look, they might do. They, they we're talking about, you know, jams on the hot seat and doing whatever it takes to keep their job. Like, they, they will go there. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's a lot of posturing. I, I think both sides are just kind of trying to show that they're the man in charge, like Carol Ann Wilson. Um, and, and I think they'll end up figuring it out. Um, but it is definitely it's, – it's, it's real. Like, I would not say this was all smoke, and I would not say there was no consideration. At this point, I think they have been assessing, you know, us with Russ, us without Russ. I mean, look, the NFC West is a gauntlet. Obviously, the Rams just added Stafford. 
you know, the Cardinals are, you know, beefing up with, with Murray on his rookie contract that we talked about. Like, maybe they are looking at it as like, a, hey, let's just quickly tear down for two years and try to come back up. I mean, their roster is pretty depleted at, at a lot of spots. What do you think the Bears end up doing at QB, though? <sighs> I, they have to make a run at one of these guys, right? I mean, it sounds like they are making a run at at least one of these guys, if not both. And by these guys, I mean Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson. Those are the only two quarterbacks out there that guarantee Ryan Pace the kind of upgrade he's looking for at a position in a year where he needs to make something happen. If they don't manage a trade for one of those two guys, they're kind of screwed. I mean, they don't have – what is your alternative option to start at quarterback next year? He, like Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't achieve anything for you. He's an upgrade, but it's not like that actually fixes your problem in terms of, hey, here's a, here's a definite, clear – direction at quarterback that answers that problem going forward Fitzpatrick doesn't do that even if he's a clear upgrade over Foles and Trubisky the only two guys that are uh, like available or potentially able to acquire are Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson so the Bears have to make one of those deals happen otherwise everybody in that building is getting fired in 12 months time Marcus Mariota does that achieve anything no but look there's two ways to view this thing right the Bears have record of whatever with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback the last three years. And that's either like great job, Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy. The fact that you did that with Mitch Trubisky is a feather in your cap. That's a win. Or the alternative is do something great. Like we've seen you, you know, make the playoffs. We've seen you win the division. You kind of, you know, had that run in 2018. But go make a splash move. Like Derek Carr. But I, I made the Derek Carr example earlier in the offseason like if they got at least a Derek Carr they'd be okay the problem is the football team the Patriots the Bears all these teams are sitting there with QB questions the Colts were and there's only so many to go around so you could put them all up on the whiteboard I would like Russell Wilson but I'm only willing to give up X I would like Deshaun Watson I'm only willing to give up X and I don't have the draft capital to even compete would say the Jets or the Dolphins if they want to play this game, or even the Broncos. Yeah. But so the Bears are a little stuck, right? They are, but they're also a team who they're the team whose backs are against the wall the most in terms of so most teams will, will have a limit to how far they want to go with a trade because they know that it cripples the team going forward. The Bears, the people making that decision don't care, right? If it works, it doesn't matter that you gave up this amount because you got the quarterback and that will solve most of your problems in and of itself. It's not to say that you can't be bad enough to override a great quarterback. We saw that last year with Deshaun Watson. But look, Andrew Luck dragged a pedestrian roster to the playoffs multiple times. Generally speaking, an elite quarterback will get you to 500 and in playoff contention every single year, uh, regardless of how bad the situation is around him. And they already have a pretty good situation around him as a starting point. So even if you're going to erode that over the next few years, it should be okay. But more importantly, you just said it. Like they, they are on the hot seat. They need to make a splash play because they, they, they have one shot at this. They're getting fired next year if they don't find a quarterback or at least a reason to be optimistic at that position. So at which point, what does it matter to you if you get it wrong? You're fired anyway. So throw everything at it. If it takes, five, if it takes all of your draft this year, Another two first-round picks, Khalil Mack, Mooney, whatever it takes. Can ownership even let, let that happen, though? It's, it's, it's the mean, whole organization, right? It can't, you can't just make a move to save your job. I'm sure you can sell it that this is still a net win. Yes, we're giving up everything for the next two years. On the other hand, we're getting quarterback, and that solves all ills. I'm sure you could sell that to ownership. But the, the, they are not going to have an inbuilt stop button 
for like, oh, no, this has gone too far. We can't go. This is too much to give up because who cares? Like they're not they're not there to live with those consequences if it doesn't work out. We, we view Deshaun Watson in high esteem, obviously, number three graded quarterback last year. However, teams making decisions, do they look at Deshaun Watson and say, first off, he played really well last year. Statistics were really good last year. They won four games. Are, are, is anybody looking at it from this high level and saying, why would we give up everything we have for Deshaun Watson to have a roster that's depleted like the Texans just had to win four games? Does that actually work against QB wins, whether you believe them or not? Does that work against Watson, the fact that he was he had his best season and they just went 4-12 and 12 last year? Right, I mean, he gets the third overall pick as a result. I mean, yeah, like Leagues of Chicago. Let's say they do make something work. I also think a scenario, it's a bit far-fetched, but I think – uh, the Raiders actually acquiring Russell Wilson and then kicking Derek Carr over to the Bears. Is, for some reason, it just kind of makes a lot of sense to me. The Raiders were also on Russell Wilson's list. They, the, the Raiders have not gone and extended Derek Carr, and he's you know, coming up at the end of his deal. Uh, and Gruden, the way he kind of talks about him, you can tell he, he doesn't mind him, but I think he would like to upgrade there if he could. Everybody um, seems to be trying to make a three-way trade happen with this. I don't know why, but this trade more than like the, this trade more than any other seems to only exist in the form of three-team deals because it's so far-fetched so i think it has to be <laughs> like you have to be a little half-baked just to even get it, it all to work but yeah so no i do think it's an interesting question right i mean but again like you said if the bears were afraid of doing that then they wouldn't have kept ryan pace and, and Matt Nagy on in the first place like they wouldn't have come into this offseason with a stop button if they knew because this is obviously what's going to happen so like nick Foles was not going to be the starter for, for right. week one regardless so you know i think it does but at the end of the day it's like you said it's more about ryan pace's caring how much he cares about 2022 is zero like and he should he shouldn't i'm not i'm not blaming him for it he has no reason to care about yeah. the bears health in 2022 right I, I just think the quarterback market is fascinating it's kind of like i think you you graduate college you come out of college and like a salary that you've never seen before looks incredible and then you get that and it's i, I think i think human nature is like man i'm making x i'd really like x plus y and now i'm making x plus y i'd really like x plus y plus z i mean well but I but how much is that? Is that what we're seeing this offseason? Go ahead. Yeah, well, we've been talking a while about it's much easier to find a viable starting quarterback than it used to be. And I think that is still true. And what we're seeing in terms of this panic and desperation from teams doesn't run contrary to that. But I think what we're seeing is a bunch of teams that are desperate to not just get viable quarterback play, but to actually go somewhere meaningful as opposed to just upgrade from a Drew Locke, right? You could upgrade from Drew Locke now if you sign ryan fitzpatrick immediately massive upgrade significant but does that achieve what you're trying to do if you're denver which is we desperately want to get back to having a good quarterback who can actually do something with this roster probably not same with chicago you could upgrade immediately over trubisky and Foles. you sign a ryan fitzpatrick and you're done but is that saving everybody's job Probably not. So the teams that are left without an answer at quarterback are also the teams that, that want to make the biggest jump possible at that position. So you're seeing them all circling the waters for a, a Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson, who are the only the only options that do that. Um, so I don't think it I don't think it's like dismissing what we've said for a while, which is finding starting you know viable starting quarterback play is actually not that hard. It's just that. Everybody that still wants that needs something more than that. Yeah, because we're, we're seeing the Rams, like other teams would, I mean, the football team would probably love to have Jared Goff as their starter at this point, right? And the Rams are like, we got to get out. 
The Eagles had to get out from Carson Wentz. The Raiders, we don't know the exact reports with Derek Carr. It's just this general feeling that like, yeah, we're fine with Carr, but if we had better, we'd have better, right? Jimmy Garoppolo with the Niners. Kyle Shanahan, we, we think he's been, he's been flirting, right, for, with getting better. I think that's just the nature of the market, right? You have a mid-tier quarterback, and you're always looking, what, what do those elites look like? What do the elites look like? And there's fewer of them to go around. And, and I think that the, the advantage that you have, even with Watson coming off a four-win season as the starting quarterback of the Texans, the advantage you have with that guy as your baseline is still so great over time that it is worth exploring all those options. Yeah, I mean, the Texans were so bad that they undid everything good that, that Watson was doing. I mean, there were multiple games last season where it just came down to who had the ball last. Watson would actually execute a game-winning drive, and then his defense would capitulate and give it up. Or he would execute a game-winning drive, and his receiver would fumble the ball in the end zone. Like, he should have had more than four wins last season based off how he was playing if people around him had just even half held up there into the bargain which I think is the key point. Yeah, you can look at it and say, all right, wins and losses, it doesn't really matter if your quarterback is playing that well because he didn't win the games. But I think he actually did enough to win a bunch of games and just didn't get credit for it, which is, I think, different than he played that well but not in the key times or it wasn't good enough and they just they were never in position to win those games. He put them in a position, I think, to win more than four games. All right, let's let's wrap up the show with this. We have top, our, our top 10 free agents remaining on the draft board. Let's go through them and just give a little quick prediction. Can we do that? I'm putting you guys on the spot. No preparation for this. Mm-hmm. We're just going. So top free agent remaining as of right now at record time, Kenny Galladay of the Lions. He is the top wide receiver. It was him, Allen Robinson, and Chris Godwin. They were the three we were trying to figure out at the top. Sam, do you have a prediction for Galladay? I'm going to send every receiver to New England until they have a viable receiver. So Kenny Galladay will go to New England. Really? Yeah. Brad, thoughts here? I know they were looking to make a trade, uh, the Giants were, for Kenny, Dal- Kenny Galladay at the deadline last year. I know they're obviously in the midst of a, a battle with Leonard Williams trying to figure out his contract, but I still think uh, the New York football Giants for Kenny Galladay. I'm going to go Jaguars. I mentioned before, when I was watching Trevor Lawrence, I said I would love to see him and Allen Robinson play football together. And Galladay is a similar player. Like Lawrence is going to give his receivers opportunities to make plays. Daryl Bevel is the offensive coordinator. They work together in Detroit. So I'm going to say the Jaguars spend a whole bunch of their cap space on Galladay. Uh, next on the free agent board is Trent Williams, number five overall coming in, number two right now. What about Trent? Is he going back to San Francisco? I mean, it sounded like it from the Chris <laughs> Collinsworth podcast. So I'm not going to I'm not going to disagree with what they're saying. I'll add some flavor. He's going to become the highest paid tackle in football uh, in San Francisco. In San Francisco. And, you know, I'll, I'll just agree. Of course, he's going back to San Francisco. That's the expectation because we all listen to the Chris Collinsworth podcast. Um, I, would st- I still will dream of him and Quentin Nelson playing together in <laughs> Indianapolis just yes. for fun. But, um, yeah, I think he'll go back to San Francisco. And that'll be huge for the Niners to at least just get that out of the way as they move forward here. How about Anthony Harris? Vikings, he is now the top safety as a few other safeties have been franchised. Uh, Anthony Harris landing spot. Hmm. Uh, it's not as easy here. Isn't. Yeah, this one gets a lot tougher. Uh, do you see our list so you can uh, prepare? Just a I little do. I put you I on do. the spot. I did put you on the spot here. Yeah, this is not because I didn't know his name was coming up. This is because I just <laughs> haven't thought of a good place for him to go yet. Uh, what about the Chargers? Let's land, him, let's land him in the Chargers secondary and let's have this be the year that it becomes what we thought it would be last year. The, the fit makes sense there just because Brandon Staley comes in they'll play a lot of too high stuff I think that's Harris's 
skill set, mm-hmm. too high, rotate a little bit. Derwin James, Nasir Adderley, still there. That could work. I see I see a reunion with Kevin Stefanski uh, in Cleveland. You know, I think they still need to beef up that secondary. They have drafted it, you know, uh, took Grant Delpit last year in the second, but still need to add DBs there. And so I think I think a reunion there makes sense. We can agree on stuff, right? I mean, I I, I really I like the I like the Browns because I do. Well, I think that they're going to be, I think they're going to be looking at the safety market. I think they want a free safety type. Delpit will work downhill a little bit more. He's just got to you know shore up his tackling that was bad at LSU. I like the Browns as a fit there as well. So I'll agree with that on Anthony Harris. Okay. Hunter Henry, he's number 10 on our free agent board coming in. He's now number four, the top tight end on the board. I think by a good margin, Jonu Smith is number two, and he's not going back to the Titans, but where does Hunter Henry land? Uh, the Jags. They need to get Trevor Lawrence some weapons. They're going to deploy the resource. They have all the money in the world. They're going to snag Hunter Henry. I like that call a lot. I was surprised that he reached the market. Uh, I thought even maybe a second franchise tag or that they would just come to an agreement. Um, you know, they took care of Keenan Allen last year. They clearly have no issue bringing their guys back. Um, I'm still going to say the Chargers and him get something done. Really? Hunter, ba- uh, Hunter Henry back to the Chargers. I think that would, that would help Justin Herbert a lot. This is the one I'm going Patriots. They, they have screwed up the tight end position horribly since even when Gronk was there. They had no plan post-Gronk. They used two third-round draft picks. Devin Asiasi last year you know, showed a little bit down the stretch. They, they always work better with tight ends. So Hunter Henry, he can block. He, he, I don't think he's limited in their system. So I like Hunter Henry in New England. Will Fuller is next. Now number five, remaining free agent, number 11 coming in. Where's Will Fuller going to land? All 32 teams, Sam? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um can I, what do I have to assume that the Patriots already got Galladay or you stick with what you already did? Yeah, so you predicted Galladay okay. for the Patriots. So do they get both? No, they're <laughs> probably not signing Will Fuller if they've also signed Kenny Galladay. Uh, that leaves. What about Miami? Miami have a bunch of receivers that are more contested catch slash uh, big bodied guys. Don't necessarily win with speed or separation. I think that part of their skill set is missing in the receiving core everyone's predicting they will get a Devonte smith in the draft or you know somebody in the top uh with their first pick what if they just go with will fuller for the speed i like that fit i i know the ravens have consistently said they're not looking for a, or they're not going to press and trying to get a number one wide receiver um, but i still like that fit in baltimore is he a number one wide receiver oh absolutely i think last year he proved that i mean hopkins wasn't baltimore. there yeah, well, he definitely is in Baltimore, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about them because, again, I, I made this point on the podcast, right? We debated an Allen Robinson, Galladay type, or a Will Fuller type. Do they just want to attack with speed? Just scary playmakers when you already have uh, uh, the speed um, Marquise Brown. Mm-hmm. Man, and Lamar, just build the fastest team in the NFL. I love that. Um, what about the Cardinals? Texans West. <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt already there. What does that offense need? Andy Isabella hasn't been the deep threat that they hoped for. Christian Kirk has had just flashes. What if it's Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins reunited? They were a great one-two combination for Deshaun Watson. What if they're the one-two combination for Kyler Murray as he heads into year three? So I'm going to predict the Cardinals, who I think are going to be very aggressive, continue to be aggressive uh, during this offseason. Number six on our free agent board right now is Joe Tooney, the guard 
from the New England Patriots. Everybody loves a little guard talk. Where's he going? It's got to be Cincinnati, surely, right? <laughs> this is the one that everybody's penciling in before free agency starts because it makes sense. The Bengals have a ton of space. They desperately need multiple offensive linemen to make sure that Joe, uh, that Joe Burrow doesn't die next season behind that offensive line. Two knees from like an hour up the road. Come on, let's just pencil it in. Let's get it done. The end. I like that, yeah. Yep. I, I mocked a defensive player to uh, the Vikings in my mock draft that came out today, which I'm sure has all of Minnesota upset with me. So I'm going to go ahead and give him uh, to the Vikings. I think they're going to go ahead, use some of that savings from Riley Reef, their left tackle they just parted ways with, uh, and make a big splash signing uh, Joe Tooney. What about Seattle? Seattle has enough cap space to play around with, I think. Yep. Do they – is this the, uh, the olive branch here? <laughs> it's a Russ. <laughs> Listen, Russ, we're going to get you Joe Tooney. He's been one of the best pass-protecting uh, – one of the best pass-protecting guards in the league. But you that's just, it. No more. Now shut up and play. <laughs> right, here it is. Here's your, here's your $14 yeah. million dollar guard, right? He's getting, and, he, and he blocks in the interior where you, you know, it's tough for you to see something. He's not that tall. You know, you'll be able to see over <laughs> We're going to get Russ. you a short guard that we're, you can see yeah. over. So this is the olive branch to, uh, to the Seattle Seahawks. Joe Tooney going to, uh, to Seattle for Russell Wilson. Uh, Shaq Barrett is next. What is that? Number six remaining on our draft board or seven? I'm losing track here because they're out of order. But Shaq Barrett, where's he going, Sam? It feels like he's still going back, right? They, I, they've been working on this contract for the longest of any of the guys that they actually managed to retain. They got the Levante David deal done. They franchise tag Chris Godwin. This is the one they've been working on for like a year and a half. It just seems strange to me that they couldn't get it done before – the season or the before free agency opens deadlines you know create movement it seems like at the 11th hour they'll ha they'll get this locked up I think it's most likely for sure but I do think that playoff run like he was good this year but he really wasn't spectacular and then I think he obviously he what 10 pressures in the Super Bowl and kind of just finished on a perfect peak I still think that happens but it's my favorite part of free agency there's a now deleted tweet from his wife that Jacksonville <laughs> was coming in with the bag oh yeah really this is from like weeks ago this too. is good stuff <laughs> maybe yeah. even months ago so I think and we also have that quote from Urban Meyer he said uh, we want to build our defense through the defensive line um, so maybe maybe he stays in Florida but goes to Jacksonville Wow, I like that. I like the now now deleted <laughs> tweets and Instagram. Well, because that's actual tampering as opposed to legal Wait, tampering. Have there been any Instagram likes or anything in there? Has he liked any Jaguars or deleted good people question. from his profile? That's always the the dagger, right? Like Jason Light is no longer his friend on uh, Instaface <laughs> or something like that. I mean, I, I I do think he goes back to to Tampa Bay as well. The selling point being. Let's you know. Let's run it back. You're you know you're a key part of this. Last year at this time we were making the point like don't pay him for 20 sacks. He what do you have eight during the regular season? Did have the playoff run, but that was the point. He's a he's a good pass rusher, but the best all around option on the board. And um, I, I think the Bucks the Bucks are bringing him back. He's number seven remaining on the free agent board. Number eight is William Jackson. And uh, Brad, we've talked a ton on this show about the volatility of the cornerback market. I don't know if the NFL values William Jackson as the top guy there. I, I could see somewhere in the NFL somebody thinks Shaquille Griffin's number one. Somebody thinks Xavier Rhodes is the guy because of the rejuvenated season. But where does William Jackson land, our top corner? Somewhere in the NFL. Somewhere in the somebody NFL is my – with Dan Orlovsky. That's my line. <laughs> um, I think the Cardinals snag William Jackson. I think that makes sense from a fit. I think the Cardinals have enough money to play with, and more to the point, they don't have any cornerbacks left. So they kind of need to secure the best available, which I think is and should be William Jackson – I just that fit just makes more sense than anybody else they can find. Sorry, who did you say? The Cardinals. Cardinals. 
you know, replace Patrick Peterson. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, yeah, I think it's been – a lot of people have said him or Shaq Griffin is going to be the top corner for most teams. Um, he's obviously older. He's about 29 years old now. I think Shaq's 25. So maybe a shorter deal there. But I uh, – it's a tough one. I think maybe if Ronald Darby doesn't stick in Washington, maybe they make a bigger splash and bring in Will Jackson. Yeah, I like that as a fit. I'm, I'm looking through some of the top teams, and I think you want Jackson in a man-heavy scheme. I, with the, the Jaguars, you mentioned they're going to go D-line first. Are they going to pay a ton of money for a corner? The Jets need all of the what we consider the most valuable positions, corner and receiver, so they could go, go all in there. Does he find his way back to Cincinnati? I don't think so. Um, so I'm just talking my my way through this whole thing here, and I don't know. I love the Cardinals fit though because of the Patrick Peterson thing, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna agree on the Cardinals there as well because um, again they're gonna be aggressive. I just I just see the Cardinals thinking we need to stay competitive in the NFC West, and this is you know this is our little window here with yeah. Kyler Murray and they first got, contract. They got put under pressure by the way the season ended as well. I think right. people are very down on them in a way that's possibly a little unfair, but I think they know they feel it. It's real. Number nine on the free agent board is Ryan Fitzpatrick. Believe it or not, the top quarterback remaining. Where's Fitz going? I don't know if he's going anywhere. That's, I'm sad for Fitz. We might be losing Fitz magic. Because he said the uh, illegal tampering period hasn't been kind to him? Well, because nobody's... I don't think anyone's going to give him a starting job. Are they? I mean... You, football team you think the football team are going to roll with its magic as their starting quarterback they're, they're in a similar spot as the bears where i don't think they have options agreed but i don't think that means they're going to turn to fitz magic you see fitz magic is now in this horrible spot where it's almost a negative to sign him if you're a team that is in this situation because you can i mean it's it's not easy but you can sell hope attached to taylor heineke you can't sell any hope attached to fitz magic the only hope you have is the magic that he will come up with on the field for a few games a season. But signing Fitzmagic is essentially resigned to your fate of mediocrity at quarterback. And I think that's the one thing that teams in that position do not want to publicly do, which is to basically just put up a giant flag that says we have no viable quarterback and we're rolling into the season resigned to having meh at the position. So I, I think he's in this spot now where he can only sign as a backup somewhere I don't even know if he wants that job. I think he's in, they call it the Mike Glennon zone, where if you sign him in March, you're probably taking a quarterback in April. Um, <laughs> I so, like that, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, I agree. Like, football team does make a lot of sense. I, I, I don't see how them at 19 or, or the Bears at 20 um, can make a move up in the draft for, for a quarterback. Maybe Mac Jones if he slips a bit. But those first four guys I, I don't think are going to be, you know, attainable for them. Um, so if these trades we, you know, thought about or, or don't happen, then I could see one of those two teams making the move. But like you said, uninspired, I don't think fans would be super happy about it. Um, and, yeah, it sounds like he wants assurances that at least in week one he'll be the starter, which I'm not, I don't know how many teams are really offering him that. I think with the football team, you can look at this and say – Eagles are rebuilding. Dallas should be good again if Dak's healthy, right? Giants, who who knows? Football team's the defending division champion <laughs> with a really good defense, and they're going to go crazy for receivers and tight ends, I assume, this offseason with their money and in the draft, right? They know that they need to get better there. I think they and, – and they might have the best coach, Ron Rivera, good culture and that whole deal. I think they could look at Fitz and say, he's playing playoff caliber football the last three years. He has. If we build around him with the culture, with the defense, they they go in thinking that they're the favorite in the NFC East. All I mean, the they, while, they're going to draft a Kyle Trask as a developmental player. They would be. I just don't know that you can 
I don't know that you can make that public declaration that Ryan Fitzpatrick will provide just the level of adequate play we need to get ourselves stumbling through this division and make the playoffs again. You say last year we did it with You're we welcome, did it with Washington. Alex and we did it with Haskins and you know and Heineke's still there, so they don't they don't necessarily need to draft a college draft. They still have Heineke there, so you're hedging a little bit. We got playoff superstar Taylor Heineke here, so I think that's I think that's the way they go. We are going to bring in three different long shots at quarterback, and hopefully <laughs> between the three of them, they'll provide enough for us to be able to fall ass first over the line and win this division just like last year. All right, Richard Sherman is the number 10 free agent, and then I want to talk about the Chiefs O-line, and then we'll wrap it up. I'm trying to drag – the people keep showing up live on the feed here. We're getting more and more people. I want to keep the show going forever. We should just go right to the live show at 3. Just keep being live. Always be live. Right? And we'll hand it off to the official PFF live show at 3 o'clock. Well, we got no the two-for-ones two coming in here after us, right? We can just, like, hand off to them live, just continue the stream going? We should. We'll yeah. keep them going. It's the, it's the PFF live channel We'll just leave the chairs. They can come in. Chris I can teach them how to undress and I say we don't leave, light. and we just be a part of their show. Oh. Okay. We're just a part of two-for-one, and they just pull up a chair and – and go so where's richard sherman going co-host of the chris collinsworth podcast Co-host, indeed um well since john gruden seemed to be recruiting him so hard on that podcast let's send him to to i was gonna say oakland let's send him to vegas that was that was gonna be my take <laughs> gruden wants him badly to be back with uh, gus bradley yeah still waiting for the uh, penalty for the, the seventh round pick the raiders about to lose for, for that podcast appearance uh, to come down but That's uh, what i was saying seriously <laughs> This is a tough one because he has Sherman has never left the West Coast. You know, born and raised West Coast guy. Obviously, um, played at Stanford and then has you know stayed out there his whole career. I love a fit of him in Buffalo though. If they don't Buffalo, if they don't take a corner, put him opposite Trey White. I mean, players love signing there. They're, they're getting guys to come back on team friendly deals. Um, you know, by all accounts, the culture there is phenomenal, and I think that's one of the best chances for him to go ring chasing. Man, I see it. That would be a little out of his comfort zone, right? He's never left the Seattle cover three system for which he is the prototype, right? So the the two places, you mentioned Vegas. I think the Jets, Robert Sala, that's that's East Coast as well, but loves Sala, right? He loves him so much. And at this point in Sherman's career, that's not a, a ring-chasing opportunity right, with the right. Jets. But the, it was like what Gruden was selling him on is we need some veterans to teach the young guys and this whole thing. If Sherman buys into that, I think the Jets or the Raiders make sense. Well, critically, the Raiders are still on Pacific time. They don't edge into mountain time, so they're good. He can. So the Raiders are okay? Yeah, yeah. He can go to Vegas. He can stay <laughs> on Pacific so time. so fast. Oi, what, what time zone is I was just checking Vegas? that they weren't mountain. <laughs> I, they were, you know, they're close enough. They could be. But he doesn't have to leave the Pacific time zone. That's true. You know, Eastern is just chaos. You can't screw with your body clock like that after so long. But you could get, you know, go all the way to Vegas and you don't even have to go into mountain time. We haven't mentioned minor league baseball yet here on the show. Outstanding. Perfect. Vegas is one of the worst places to pitch. Because <sighs> velocity or what? Break it down for me. The um, you had to, you had to altitude, yep. desert, and then the infield was like concrete. A guy would hit a, a chopper. Chopper that would just bounce right in the outfield. Hmm. Ball flew through the infield. I gave up some bombs there. It was bad. <laughs> I had to do. I had a spot start there. That was brutal. First start in five years. Not good. Yeah. Vegas. The ERAs are all inflated. You got to adjust for the for the Vegas ERA. Yeah. Right. Just so like that's Colorado where Springs. that's where you had those videos where it's just you know, pitch and then. Yeah. 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 Well, that was in Montana. That particular one. Also. Oh, okay. Big sky. Yeah. Yeah. Thin air up there as well. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Vegas. Nobody wants to play baseball there unless you're a hitter. So that's our top 10. I wanted to wrap it up with the Chiefs offensive line. They get rid of uh, Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz, and Austin Tofu Ryder is going to be hitting free agency. 
what are the Chiefs? Is there a path to the Chiefs creeping back toward average, as we like to say on the PFF NFL podcast here, Brad? I do like Lucas Niang a lot. Uh, their third round pick from last year out of TCU. Uh, he opted out last season, so it wasn't around. Um, and I guess they should also get Laurent uh, Duvernay Tardif back as well. Um, MD, MD. Um, and, and I think in the first round, it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, it's a great tackle class, so I, I could see them taking a tackle at 31. They've also um, got Kyle Long visiting, so yep. far, assuming he makes it beyond Vegas. Which is hard to do sometimes. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think that it, it – I mean, Fisher, who knows if he's even ready for week one. Obviously, torn Achilles in the, what, the AFC Championship game, so real tough there. Um, and the rumblings that, you know, Schwartz may, might end up retiring anyways. So it may look like it was a crazy kind of development for them, but in reality it's kind of just business as usual. Um, but, yeah, I think they'll find their way back. I know that they are apparently interested in bringing Remmers back, kind of be their swing tackle. Um, he's a solid, you know, solid swing tackle. So I th I'll think they'll figure it out. How, how do you build around Patrick Mahomes going forward? Do you think they have – is he going to provide a ton of cap flexibility for what he's – obviously what he's bringing to the table from a value standpoint? How do you look at the Chiefs over the next four or five years and that, that build from just a, a cap situation standpoint? Yeah, so the way they structured all those deals, Tyreek Hill, Chris Jones, um, and Mahomes is these massive roster bonuses in, in every year. So you can basically just restructure and, and with Mahomes clear like $20 million every time you do it. Um, and obviously, you know, he's on a decade-long deal, so there's always years to absorb that money. Um, it's going to get interesting, though. I mean, Tyron Matthew needs new money. Um, Kelsey's phenomenal, but I, how many years left does he really have You right. know, as an elite tight end? Who knows? Um, they got to keep adding weapons. I know they took Hardman in the second round, but they have to keep keep going there. I think Watkins is probably on the way out unless he takes like a, a really small deal, which he might do. Um, but yeah, I think you just keep loading up. Um, you know, we, we talk about elite quarterbacks not necessarily needing you know a ton of top receivers, um, but I think a piece Eric wrote for the site about tertiary weapons. Like I think you always need to make sure that his third option, if a team does just take Tyree Kill and, and, and Travis Kelsey out of a game plan, that he still has someone reliable he can go to. That's the best way to do it. That's what I was going to ask about the Mahomes contract that I haven't seen talked about elsewhere. The fact that he signed this decade-long contract, does that provide the Chiefs, you know, like for a long time, more flexibility to do to push those bonuses over a decade and essentially provide more cap relief than other quarterbacks would that are signed to a shorter-term deal? Is that, like, is that A, designed, or B, just a happy accident that they have this ancillary benefit of being able to when they restructure Mahomes' contract on a yearly basis, get a hell of a lot more relief than they would if he was signed to a four-year deal. Right, exactly. So you can push money up to a maximum of five years, but okay. you know, let's say three years into the contract, though, they can still do a restructure and still have right. a full five years down the line. So, yeah, I, I think by all accounts, this deal was essentially, I mean, I still want to obviously break the bank and, and get a huge contract, but he cares so much about winning and surrounding himself with other talent. Um, you know, I don't know if he left any on the table, but um, uh, but but no, I mean, I think that is the, that is the point of the of the super long deal. You know, the odds he finishes it without a, a new extension at some point probably aren't super high. Um, but yeah, the flexibility—it's like the most beneficial structure the Chiefs could possibly have. Yeah, I'm with you on the playmaker thing, and I've always, I always apologize before I say this. I think Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. He's <laughs> awesome, but. We've never seen him without Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey for an extended period of time. And that group, combined with Andy Reid, made Alex Smith into an absolute stud in 2017. So um, I don't think the Chiefs want to know what he looks like without those guys, and they should just continue to try to burn the league <laughs> with yeah. as many playmakers as possible. But having to invest in the O-line, and yeah, that, that might slow them down just a little bit in yeah. that area right now. So we'll be interesting to see. Do we cover 
everything? Is that your free agency preview? I think so. Anthony Barr just agreed to a pay cut restructure, give the Vikings a bit more flexibility and another guy taking less money just to not have to <laughs> get cut and deal with the free agent waters that are upcoming. Remember that time he signed with the Jets? Yeah, for, you know, briefly. And we did a whole, against it. we did analysis on it. Any of those good stories? I remember, I remember the, 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 the year that they maybe started the tampering thing and Frank Gore was like an eagle for two days, Yeah, but it wasn't real. Any of those stories come to mind for you guys? Well, that was, yeah, that was the period where everyone was like, what does this legal tampering thing look like? And none of these deals are actually concrete until it turns out almost everything is just immediately done, inked and in the books. But Frank Gore was the one that didn't. It was the one that actually reversed course and got away and changed. Yeah, it's impressive these agents and teams can, you know, the window opens at noon and deals are announced at 12.05. <laughs> it's really impressive they can work that fast. They well, haven't spoken at all before then, so no. it's, it's very impressive. Will there, will there be fewer deals because we didn't have uh, Prime Steakhouse this year out in Indianapolis to, to do all the wheeling and dealing? I think it's certainly possible. Uh, the Combine, you know, these, they're, they're going to pro days and stuff like that, but I do think... Again, this also isn't actually happening, but it is happening. Where, <laughs> you know, you go to meet with a team about one of your draft picks, but obviously you're also there to talk shop about, you know, some of your pending free agents. I think it could slow the market down a bit. Um, but I think it's more just, you know, the, the, top, the top guys are, are still going to get theirs. It's the second wave is, is where it's going to be interesting. Um, if it just falls off a cliff immediately and everyone is just signing one-year deals with the Bucks and Chiefs and, and contenders, and just like we said, just just waiting for the next kind of wave. If you're uh, if you're illegally tampering, do you and you can't go to Prime because the combine's not on? Do you like, you know, DoorDash out a meal? Yes. You know, you send like like they would these sort of conference office parties, right? You send everyone else out a pizza and everyone's getting food together. Is that, you know, you, you're having this meeting with an agent, you, you door dash out a burrito or something. And then my second question would be, if that's what's happening, can you expense that if it's illegal tampering? Or have you got to go f to that restaurant where they've like renamed everything as office supplies so that you can expense it and nobody raises an eyebrow? Is that what you have to do when you're really illegal tampering? Really, office supplies is, is great. Yeah, I think... Yeah, you can expense it if you end up signing with that team. Okay, I think. even if it's illegal tampering, if it's or you send a stake to Jerry Jones' yacht to kind of like, you know, get the ball rolling in those discussions. Man, that's a tough DoorDash assignment, isn't it? You're like you get to the the dock and now you have to yeah, swim think, out to the think boat. Think about the tip, though. Think about the tip you'll get. Oh yeah, when the steak arrives, sure, on the yacht. You post date a check, so you pay the you pay the steakhouse with a check for for today. Ah, that, yeah. that's how you do it. Are they? I don't know if that facility is in DoorDash. <laughs> I don't know if they're amenable no. to that, but. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we have one question on the YouTube stream that I want to answer. I just can't end the show. Somebody yeah. asked, how will 2022 comp picks likely be affected if everyone takes one-year deals? Now, I mean, the gen I mean, it's like, it depends on how well those guys, guys play, right? I mean, if they sign massive contracts. Or is that, is that a potential hole in the market right now? You get a guy, you just sign a whole bunch of guys on one-year deals knowing that they're going to maybe sign multi-year deals next year and mop up in, on comp picks. I think it's a huge part of it. So it's interesting to see how this, like the signings from this offseason will impact those comp pick next year because I think a lot of teams will either sign cut guys, like, you know, the Ravens with Zettler this morning. Like, those guys do not count. And so I think there's probably a premium on those guys. Um, if you can get a guy for a decent deal and you know he's not going to you know count against you in the, in the formula. Uh, but also move the Ravens have done in the past is they, they straight up told a free agent one time, we want to sign you, 
Um, but there's a deadline where you, you no longer count, even if you are a compensatory free agent. If you sign after a certain date, you're just no longer in the formula. Um, it happened with Javion Clowney last year. So I also can see that, where teams just say, hey, we want we want you to be on our team. If no one steps up and gives you a better offer before, I forget the date, it doesn't say July. Um, if no one steps up before then, just circle back with us and we'll sign you after that. Um, it's going to be really interesting. But yes, the the following offseason. So we're going to get like a wave of free agents and then everyone's going to be waiting until July for these wave. guys to get signed. Right. The fourth wave of free agency this year where the values to you know, right. to be had. Right. That's where, yeah, that's where the money is. But yeah, and then the, the following year will be really interesting. Where, like you said, if there's a bunch of these like really good players signing one-year deals, um, yeah, I mean, smart teams, like, you know, like the Patriots have been doing it forever, but a lot of these good teams could just try to load up on guys that they're like, hey, look, we, we have no plan on extending you after this deal. This is a one-year deal for you to kind of have somewhere to play, showcase your talent, and then we'll just kind of mop up in, in compensatory picks the following year. This is where good teams could be even better, right? Smart teams, but also teams that have loaded rosters, and the sell is tofu will make you make you look better for, for the market. Tofu. That's and the first time that's ever been uh, uttered before. Nobody's ever tried to sell anything with tofu. Before. You're our tofu guy. Yeah. Well, that's what you learn here on the PFF NFL podcast. We're finally going to wrap it up, but here's what we're going to do the rest of the week. We'll be back here for our usual Thursday show. There will be an extra show this week. Are we going to go Friday to kind of wrap it all up? I think so. I think that's the plan. Um, so we'll be back on Thursday. We'll get a lot of the uh, reaction coming out of the craziness on Wednesday, some of the more official stuff, and then we'll be back to wrap it up on Friday. Brad is in town all week to be a part of the, uh, the the PFF car wash, as they say, part of all the shows, I'm sure. The car wash, that's what they do at ESPN. Show up at ESPN, you go on all the shows. It's a car, wa- car wash? Car wash. PF- we have a car wash now. So he can be on our show, he can be on Two for One, he can be on whatever the other podcasts are. I don't even know what they are. Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> Forecast and the whole deal. Maybe Collinsworth podcast, never know. Um, but we've got live shows. We will have live reaction here on the YouTube channel uh, throughout the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll see what happens from there but thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll be back later in the week that's your free agency preview wave sound